I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and you're listening to The Goop Podcast, thanks to our friends at Janie and Jack. This year, Goop returned to Dallas with a pop-up shop in Highland Park Village. By far, the cutest event we hosted there was our Mother's Day celebration with Janie and Jack. The kids wore Janie and Jack clothes and decorated cookies, which is kind of the dream. We're opening up our holiday gift pop-up in Dallas, and it's stocked again with Janie and Jack's iconic designs. Our team loves the look, feel, and attention to detail of every Janie and Jack piece, and their clothes make such good gifts. Janie and Jack sizing starts with newborns and goes to six years old in their own shops, and you can find clothes for kids up to 12 years old on their site. If you're in one of Janie and Jack shops nationwide, mention Goop to get 15% off your purchase, or punch in code GOOP at janieandjack.com. Okay, it's me again. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've listened before, thank you and welcome back. Every Thursday, and sometimes more often, we'll be sitting down with leading thinkers, culture changers, and industry disruptors. You'll hear me interviewing some of the people I admire most in this world, and you'll also hear a lot from my chief content officer at Goop, Elise Lunin. Today, I sat down with model, designer, and author Ashley Graham. I'm sure you know her famous Sports Illustrated cover, and you might already be a fan of her new podcast, Pretty Big Deal. In her own words, Ashley is a body activist. I loved talking with her about what this means to her. I also got to ask Ashley about her experience as a trailblazer in fashion, how she found her own voice, and how she's using it now to break down barriers in other industries. Now, and I'm in I'm in a position where I love my body. Like there's there's yeah there's things like sometimes when I get out of bed and I look in the mirror right away in the morning and I'm like, damn, I wish you know this was tucked in a little bit more. Maybe that cellulite bump wasn't there because it always shows through my pants. You know, it's like, but that's normal. Like that stuff. You know, for all the women out there who think it's gonna go away, it's not gonna go away. It's just there. It's how you deal with it. She's also one of the funniest people I've ever gotten to talk to. Now, let's cut to our conversation. When is this coming out? I don't know. Okay, whatever great. Whatever you say. Great. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> whenever I want. There's the tea. Oh, good. We've got Thank tea. you so Thanks, much. Nora. Thank you. Yeah, so tell me. So the season is called Fearless, okay. and we're talking to all different kinds of people who are fighting against the naysayers and we're helping the underdog here and it's awesome. Do you feel like you approach it with the consciousness of being an underdog at all? Well, I've been an underdog my whole life and I still like there's been some moments in my life, even my career now where I still am an underdog and I'm fighting constantly to remind people that, oh, big girls need love too. And it's not, and then it's not even just big girls. It's like different types of women, not just one type of beauty. And that's why I started calling myself a body activist oh so many years ago. I love that <laughs> moniker you've given yourself, by the way. And now it's like, oh, I see that name on a few Instagrams now. Like, <laughs> I'm like, okay. But, you know. Changing culture, yes, Ashley Graham. We need to. And so there's just not been a representation of different types of beauty. And that's what I want. And that's what I'm fighting for. And yeah. that's why still I feel like the underdog. Because, you know, when you're the token girl on a campaign in a runway show, you realize that there's been a shift because you're there, but there still hasn't been a big enough shift to see another face like yours. Interesting. And um, 
that's what I want. I want to see many faces that not necessarily look like mine, but that look like so many different types of beauty that I've never seen before. And how did you get here? I mean, did you always want to model? No. So it's so funny because I was listening to your episode with Chrissy Teigen. First of all, your episode with Oprah, I listened to three times. Thank you. Three freaking times. She's amazing. Why is she one of the most inspirational women on the world? She's just a gift. She is. Was she in this gift. room? No. Oh, Are you okay. crazy? I went I don't know. <laughs> I drove 90 miles away to go. <laughs> I would have flown to the moon to get that interview. <laughs> but I was also listening to Christy Teagan's on the way over because I just wanted to get the vibe. And it's funny because she said Sports Illustrated was like kind of a turning point. And that's the same for me. But growing up in Nebraska, I mean, I, I lived in Texas, Atlanta, Arkansas, New Hampshire, Nebraska. Went to high school in Nebraska. Walking around in a mall, someone came up to me and said, hey, do you want to be a model? Mind you, I'm 12 years old, 5'9", probably like 160 pounds, and a size 10, 12. And I'm looking like a woman, but like a really sweet face and voice. <laughs> like, oh. And all of a sudden I get thrown into this world of At okay, 12 years mm -hmm. old. Yeah. And they're like, okay, you're plus size. Okay. Here's a sexy look. Okay. This is what runway is. And they do this kind of, I went into like a modeling school almost wow. and they paraded me around a bunch of the big agencies. Ford picked me up. I was there for about 10 years and now I've been with IMG for the last five years, but I was always a catalog girl. I was always the one that was stuck in a corner that, you know, you're pretty, you're the money maker, and you won't be famous, and you should be happy about that. You don't have an editorial face. You don't really know how to editorially model. So just be okay, make your money, and stay quiet. And I never liked that. I never liked being able, never liked doing what I wanted to do. I don't think anybody would want to be put in a corner. Right. But I listened to the people who I thought were the professionals, the ones who had made all of the rules this this whole time. And when I married my husband... And was, how did, if I can just ask yeah. you, how did that make you feel? Well, it makes you feel... I've always said that even through high school or middle school, high school, I was always the second most favorite or the second most popular. And it was, I was second fiddle to everything. So mm -hmm. walking into this, I felt like I was in the right place because I was second fiddle. I was the curve girl, which is second fiddle to the skinny girl. I was second fiddle because the editorial model is always looked at more highly than the catalog model. So it's like I fit into this role so perfectly that I wasn't going to complain until I realized I needed to complain. I had been told so long that I was a plus size model. I had been told so long that I'll never be on the covers of magazines. I was told you won't be having a business because you don't know how to run one. And next thing you know, all it took was my husband saying, why are you in the same position on the couch every time I come home from work? What do you want to do with your life? And I was like, I'm a model, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when it hit me this isn't going to last forever. So what do I really want to do? And that was at around 22 years old. But how do you decide, like, how do you decide I'm going to step in into the number one position? Like what <laughs> gave you the balls to do that? Well, first of all, um, my vagina is very big. <laughs> I don't have balls, but you know, if we're going to talk about it, like I, sorry, you're right. Yeah. You're right. I have got some, some big ass vagina that is like, she's willing to do 
anything. <laughs> and when I say anything, I mean go out and get the career. No, I'm just kidding, because that just sounds terrible. <laughs> But you know when they say, like, oh, you got to have the balls to do that. You're right. It's yeah. actually, balls are really sensitive. They're so sensitive. And, and vaginas are strong. Hell yes, they are. Why I haven't we... had a kid come out of it yet. But, mm. you know, imagine, like, that's oh, a I... strong vagina. Yeah, I know. Mm. You're right. We need to flip that. Great right? point. Thank you. Yes. That's okay. Somebody, <laughs> actually, a friend of mine just told me that because I said, come on, grow a set. And she's like, well, first of all. <laughs> so I'm just passing it along. Um, so, you know, I... Every year I had like a small victory in my career and it was like, oh, you got this job that made this client want to book you, da 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 And what had happened was I was always known as the lingerie girl. People knew me because I was half naked. They were like, they didn't know my name, but they knew my face and they knew my body very well. So I was like, how can I turn that into a business? Nurika, I, you, Nurika, I am going, I thought I said Eureka, Nurika. <laughs> Eureka? It's Eureka. Eureka, everybody. It's Eureka. All right. I thought the name of this business was Nureka. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Wait, just for the people, what is it again? Eureka. Eureka. I need to write that down. So Eureka, I've think, got an idea. Yeah, oh, I think we might have just founded some other business called Nureka. Why not? Somebody trademark that. Um, so I, I was like, I'm going to create lingerie because people know my body for that. Right. So for me, it was just like, see an, a small opportunity, go through it. I didn't start talking to buyers. I didn't start looking at fabrics. I just started talking to the presidents of companies that I was already working with. Interesting. And I would just corner them at lunchtime on a photo shoot. And I'd be like, hey, I'm starting a lingerie line. Do you want to do it with me? And I did it to about three different companies and one stuck. And um, it's a Chanel. They're out of Canada. Rosalind Griner gave me this opportunity. She was the president. And she, I lifted my shirt. I said, I want to make bras that look like this but fit better. And she was like, done. In three months, I had a contract. And my agent at the time was like, I don't think this is a good idea. And I'm like, how is this not a good idea? I'm building something outside of modeling. Can you not handle that? And he's like, we're going to handle it. And then he decided to like kind of, you know, hurt me in the contract. And they took a little bit too much money oh, because no. I wasn't smart enough to understand. No, no, no. That You were smart enough. You just weren't <laughs> experienced. Exactly. Enough. Because experience, you always need experience. Yes. So then I... Uh, became the lingerie model. Then I was a swimsuit model and um, swimsuits for all where I have my swimsuit collection took, um, took me in and they said, we're doing a campaign and it's going to be in Sports Illustrated. Now, let me rewind to about a year prior to this. Okay. I made a vision board. Have you ever made a vision board? You know, not that I've actually executed and put on the wall. I have one, but it's kind of in my brain, but I don't think that counts. I'm surprised at you, honestly. I thought that you'd be one of those people who did that. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I don't know. Like and I when should it, be. I know. Whoop. Hello, I vision know, board. Okay. I know. It's I've got an internal vision board. That's hey. Uh, yeah, okay. My Jewish friend told me that she only does it internal because if you write it down in the it's Jewish, bad luck. yeah, it's bad luck. Oh, yeah, so well, I don't know. Maybe my Jewish half is rebelling against <laughs> yes, a vision board. Yes, there you board. go. <laughs> my superstitious. <laughs> so I made a vision board, and on that I had TED Talk, Sports Illustrated, Vogue. These were like for covers. Buy a home. Um, go to Thailand. 
there like my, that I had my husband on there that our marriage would just be strong. You know, it was like all these different things. And sure enough, things just started happening. And it was like, I did the TED talk. My marriage was getting stronger and stronger. We bought a home. And then next thing you know, Swimsuits for All calls me and they're like, we're putting you in Sports Illustrated in an ad. And I was like, Lord, you work in mysterious ways, but I'm taking this one. I'm taking it. And what that did for me was I think that it gave Sports Illustrated an A-OK because it's like they wanted to test their viewers Mm -hmm. to see if they could handle a size 16 girl in a bikini in their pages. And it went viral. It was like a crazy sensation. People were pissed that it was an ad. They were pissed that I wasn't actually in the campaign but or in the actual pages of Sports Illustrated. But they were celebrating it like I actually was next year. I got into Sports <laughs> Illustrated, and not only that, I was on the cover. Rookie on the cover. Holler at your girl. <laughs> God, you are hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, I couldn't believe it. First of all, you're putting a girl my size, first ever my size, and you're going to put me on the cover? Well, y'all are smart because that's where women look like me. The yes. average size American woman is a size 14, 16, yeah. and I had no idea how many subscribers of women were to to Sports Illustrated. I mean, it's 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 huge. It's huge. So, what was the reaction? The reaction was insane. I mean, it was a game changer in my career. The next year, I was on the cover of Vogue. So, like, you know, I, I, I mean, I was like, "Thank you, Sports Illustrated. Like, you got me in fashion magazines." <laughs> I mean, also, I have an incredible team around me because you know we can't do anything without a great team. But the reaction was so big, and what it did was not only gave my career this incredible jump over so many hurdles, but it gave so much confidence to women around the world that it didn't matter if you had cellulite, it didn't matter if you had back fat, it didn't matter if you had cellulite on your arms, you could be just as sexy and accepted in an industry that always told you you weren't Absolutely. good enough. Amazing. So, I mean, that that was the biggest thing that I took away from it too. And how do you feel having such a big part in this paradigm shift. I mean, I feel incredibly honored because I mean, I get chills for you when I think about thank that. Thank you. It it's crazy because I've been doing this for almost 19 years. I mean, I can say almost 20, like it's so weird. And I think like why didn't it happen at ear- why didn't it happen earlier? Why did it happen to me? What, you know, what was it? It's not that I'm so special. It's just that it's timing. I think it's time that women are being heard for what they want. It's time that, you know, social media gives you a voice where you can say what you want to see in any magazine, in any kind of media. And that's exactly what's been happening. Women have been standing up and saying, I'm not going to buy clothes from this company, first of all, because they don't have my size. And second of all, because you're not representing me. Right. No, we, I mean, people want to feel like what they're investing in and wearing resonates with who they are and their values. And it's really interesting because I never, like I was always skinny. I, so I never thought about this through this lens. And I invested in a company recently called Universal Standard. Yes. Yes. Two incredible female founders. Mm -hmm. They came to me and they said, we want to do this. You know, we're doing this size inclusive range of clothes from double zero up to, I think, 30 or I think it's like in the thirties. Yeah. Thirties. And I started asking questions and I had no idea 
for example, that the size of looms weren't even like the fabric isn't yep. even made. The machines the are machine, there's only a the couple right machines size. in the whole world. And that, you know, and again, how the addressable market, as mm-hmm. you said, like for 14 and size up is massive and nobody's thinking about these women. And mm-hmm. I'm always obsessed with where are the women that nobody's thinking about? You mm-hmm. know, like for example, we're coming out with this vitamin this week that's for women who are in perimenopause and menopause and postmenopause because nobody regards those women and nobody markets to them. And, you know, I always am thinking like, we're all so much stronger if all archetypes are included Mm -hmm. and we're all able to be seen and lift each other up. And I never even sort of was aware of how excluded women of larger sizes are in, especially in high fashion. And, and then I started, and then there's that great site, um, 11 on array. Yes, I know. It's fantastic. And you really see a huge shift in the culture. And I'm so glad that website exists because we've always just had basics and, you know, basics are necessary and they're needed and they're great to wear, but yeah. then where's the high end stuff. Right. And that's why I started, I have a, um, jean company with Marina Rinaldi who's owned by Max Mara. Oh, you're kidding. Because there just isn't an availability of, of quality clothing for curvy girls. It's just not there. And what is the jean line called? Ashley Graham from Marina Rinaldi. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you have the best laugh. It's a good Halloween laugh. <laughs> Wait, on the heels of your vitamin, have you heard of Cindy Whitehead? No. She created the first ever and only ever on the market female version of Viagra. Oh, wow. She is in, She sold it for a billion dollars. You know she did. She's my mentor. Wow. Yes. I thought this was going to be my one of my questions was, who are your mentors? Yeah. Businesswomen like her. I mean, she and I met at a Glam- Glamour Woman of the Year, and um, she took me out to lunch because I-, I was, like, curious about what she had done. And now she, like, helps me kind of, like, strategize here and there. But she's also just a helping hand for, like, when I don't know what to do with a business decision or a contract or something. It's like someone outside of my team can just give me... Fresh eyes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I also look up to Kathy Ireland because she not only is a model turned mogul, but she's done it in such a unique way and has sustained. It's not just clothing. It's not just beauty. She's, like, in homes. She's got hardwood floors and like cement. I don't know if she has cement, but like she might as well. (laughs) And, um, she actually uh, surprised me at one of my book signings and now we're text friends and it just like warms my heart. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, I, I really look up to a lot of these women who are entrepreneurs, like even like you, like you really have taken who you are as an actress and you're now not only you've built this empire and it's incredible. And it's nice to see women doing something out of the norm or at least the norm that we've seen because you think you have to stay in this role, but you don't, you can be anything and everything and you can build whatever you want, just like all the other men out there. That's right. And when I was starting as an actress, you know, 20 plus years ago, that wasn't part of the career. You could just be an actress. Yes. There was. And when anybody started to step outside the box or added a hyphen it to what they did. 
there was an outcry, and there definitely was when I, even when I said, oh, I'm going to start sending out a newsletter. Right. There was a huge outcry about it, and it wasn't even in business yet. It was just me oh. in my kitchen sending out, like, some freaking People were like, pasta recipes. Why, Gwyneth? Why? <laughs> right, why? <laughs> so, I, so as a multi-hyphenate, what do you think have been the challenges or have there been any, maybe now at your age, you know, you're a generation behind me, maybe now the world is just sort of open to you and you can add as many hyphenates as you want, or have you encountered challenges along the way? I mean, I think there's challenges with every new kind of position you put yourself in because there's a learning curve, but I feel lucky enough to be able to have so many different people on my team that know a lot about everything and I feel like I can put my hand in every pot and try it out and if it doesn't work out I've I've got so many other things that I'm working on has um, there been anything you've tried that hasn't felt right um acting <laughs> <laughs> people are always saying like why don't you be an actress you could be an you're so animated blah, blah, blah. look if the right part was written for me maybe right. like if I didn't have to audition that auditioning thing is so intense it's, it's scary I mean you go with the teacher you think you've got it the teacher like gasses you up da, 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 da. you go into the audition room you think you did great and then they call you back and you're like mm, no she just wasn't good enough oh and it's like good god I mean I know you know it's all hard. about it but yeah. so I'm just like no no thank you um <laughs> But like writing the book, that was a therapy session and that was a learning curve. And I cried a lot through that. And then, you know, having it be released and then talking about your life so much Mm -hmm. is like, wow, it's intense. And I think building the swimsuits and lingerie, the only learning curve was like, what do, what does she want? And that has actually been fun because I've used social media. I get on Twitter, Instagram, and I'm like, Hey, what colors, what sizes? I need to know what it is. So interactive. So interactive. Cause that's the only way to do it now. And I also tell these people, like, if I'm not going to wear this, we cannot make it. Right. It has to be wearable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not smacking my name on anything. I'm in the trenches. Mm -hmm. I think everything's just been a learning curve and a teachable moment for me. And my eyes have been wide open and I've just been taking mental note after mental note. Do you feel energetically, you know, I don't know how to quite articulate it, but when you write a book about your life and then there's all attention around it or... What does that feel like energetically for you? Do you feel that energetically? Because you're such a prominent person in popular culture. I think because I'm automatically such an open person, none of it affects me in a negative way. It just gets tiring having the same conversation. Right. What is that conversation? The conversation is, how do you feel so confident? How does it feel? Or how do you feel about the word plus size? And how can I be a model or how can I be confident? Those are the questions I get asked the most. And if you're asking me how am I so confident, why am I so confident? Because I'm in a bikini? Because I didn't retouch my cellulite? Because I haven't complained about my lower belly fat? I just talk about it and embrace it? That That is the exhaustion. But that is why I'm one of the first of... of of my generation to talk about it and to love it. So I'm going to have to always talk about it. Of course. And, you know, you have to always remember that when you answer that question, you are changing the life of some 13 year old. It's new and fresh to someone else. So I'm the oldest of three girls. And my mother always told me 
it doesn't matter if they don't like you today or tomorrow, but they're always watching you. So be aware. Mm. And I think of my fans as my sisters, mm. whether they're older or younger, like we're in this together and whatever I do and whatever I say, it would be something that I would say to my sisters so that they would grow and prosper. So I'm always trying to, to think of it in that mm. aspect. But let me tell you, Talking about your body 24-7 is exhausting. And especially now, and I'm in I'm in a position where I love my body. Like there's there's yeah, there's things like sometimes when I get out of bed and I look in the mirror right away in the morning and I'm like, damn, I wish, you know, this was tucked in a little bit more. Maybe that cellulite bump wasn't there because it always shows through my pants. You know, it's like, but that's normal. Like that stuff, you know, for all the women out there who think it's gonna go away, it's not gonna go away. It's just there. It's how you deal with it. But you know, I always try to think positively about those women, but it does get tiring having to constantly talk about your body. But and it's in a way, I signed up for it, right? But it, but but you are being objectified, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Even even in a positive way, even in a way that's changing culture or whatever. Yeah. And I understand that yeah. that aspect of you know, it's almost like being confined by the constraints of what everyone's talking about and the conversation around your body. Yeah. It's like you're literally being picked apart and manipulated on every level, whether it's positive or negative. And you just kind of have to sit there and watch the whole conversation happen. Unless if you stand up and then look like that chick, that's constantly saying like, my body's worth it. My body's enough. (laughs) And I am that girl because I'm never going to shut up. Right. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break to chat about one of our partners. Every phase of motherhood has been an unparalleled adventure, but I do miss picking out clothes for my kids like I did when they were little. There's something about tiny shoes, coats, and jeans that doesn't translate to teen and adult clothing. Luckily for me, there are a lot of moms in the Goop office with babies and young kids, and I have a few friends with little kids too. Shopping for them is the best. At Goop, a favorite place to start is the iconic children's brand, Janie and Jack. They're all about bringing a modern twist to classic looks. And they have everything from on-the-go playwear to adorable statement pieces. Their dresses, rompers, sweaters, and jackets are made with real attention to every detail. And as good as the designs look in their shops and online, Janie and Jack clothes are beyond cute when you see a kid wearing them. Janie and Jack starts young. You can find sizes for newborns to six-year-olds in their shops, and online they go up to 12 years old. Get 15% off your purchase when you use code GOOP at janieandjack.com, or pop into a Janie and Jack shop nationwide and just mention GOOP. Okay, let's get back to Ashley. So tell me about your husband. How long have you been married? We've been married eight years. Where did you meet? Because it's a good um, story. Yeah, it is a good story. So I had like been dating this terrible guy, and as we all do, oh, right? Have some of those. Oh my god, mentally, physically, emotionally abusive. Um, and then I hid our relationship for a year. So it was like two years of agony. But like I had myself in it because I just didn't know my worth. Got out of that. Literally w- found my worth, but not in like this oh my God, I found my worth. Like it was more so I knew that I was a stronger woman for breaking up with him. And in 
feeling stronger for breaking up with him, I was like, what is it that I need to do to change myself so I don't get back into that situation? And that's, that's brilliant, by the way, and very rare for someone your age at the time yeah, to be able to have that kind of insight. 21, into 22. That's 21, astonishing. 21. So I, I was about 40. <laughs> Girl, it's everybody. Everybody's got different <laughs> times. It's all good. So, and, and in that, in that aha moment, I was like, my problem is I keep giving it up too soon. I keep having sex too soon with these guys because I grew up very Christian. And one of the things my mom said to me growing up is if you have sex, you're going to die. If you have sex before you're married, you're going to die. Thanks mom. Yep. That was great. Great advice. Linda Graham. (laughs) I didn't die, but I did have a lot of sex. And in that, I realized I'm giving up my power and I'm giving up a little bit of this power to each of these guys and I'm letting them control me. Whether, I mean, and not in a, not constantly control me in every action, but like they have a certain control over me. And do you think it's because there was such this great import placed on sex for you that you felt like you were giving away some giant thing to these guys? Yes, because in a Christian in a Christian's life, you're supposed to wait till you're married to have sex. Right. And it's kind of like the thing that you're supposed to save. And it's like this holy moment. Da, 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 da. But Which I it is, by the way, it is, it's a very, it is. I think you come to see that, right? As you get older, 100%. as you get older, when you have sex with your eyes open, that's deep. <laughs> I couldn't do that for a long time. Yeah. I, I, the only person I've ever done it with is my husband Yeah, and it's so intimate. Me too. I, but I have intimacy issues, but I'm working on them. Well, so I did too, because my dad was just like the breadwinner and that was it. Like I didn't have a relationship with him growing up. So I was always seeking male attention. Like I always wanted an older brother. I always wanted a boyfriend. I always wanted some guy talking to me to feel worthy. Right. So I figured out my issue at 20 and 21. And that's when I decided I'm not going to have sex till I'm married because I was like, let me figure out if this Christian thing is like really the jam. Interesting. And for me it was, and I weeded through asshole after asshole. And sure enough, I'm in church because my mom made me go to church again because I had had this like this little issue with some tequila <laughs> and I showed up at my agency a little drunk And my agent told me if I didn't clean up, I was going to be kicked out. So my mom said, rehab or church? And I was like, I'm not an alcoholic, so I'll just go to church. And so she said, I have to go six times in order for me to like feel like if it's right or not. And I went six times and then boom, I just ended up staying. Next thing you know, I'm in the elevator. And we're in where? We're in New York City? We're in New York City. We're at the Journey Church, which I don't go to anymore, but that was like a good staple for me to start. And I'm volunteering that Sunday. And I'm the elevator lady because, you know, in New York City, nothing is like a standalone building because, I mean, I grew up in the Burbs. So, like, you'd go to church and, like, there's a parking lot. Not in New York. So I'm the elevator lady. I've got a handful of candy or like a basket of candy. And these two good-looking black guys come in and the elevator's full. But for some reason, we're locking eyes. And the one guy says to the other guy, if you don't talk to her, I am. And I was like, I blushed. And the next thing you know, Justin, my husband, was the one who stayed in the elevator. And we rode the elevator up and down, and I tried not to talk to him. I was like, this is mad awkward. Like, we're riding the elevator alone, going down. And he was like, so what do you do? And I just kind of, like, brushed it off, like, 
I'm a model. <laughs> and he rolled his eyes, girl, like, oh, God, she's some Facebook model. Because I had just got on Facebook. I don't think Instagram existed yet. Maybe it did, but nobody was on it. And sure enough, uh, he found me on Facebook and was like, hey, elevator lady, I like how you push those buttons. This is your security guard. And I was like, oh, he's funny. Great. I love funny. So then we had this back and forth of like elevator security guard. And he asked me out for coffee. And when he asked me out for coffee, I was so nervous. But we had so much fun. But the thing that sucked was he didn't pay for the coffee. So I was like, great. I have another cheap guy. It was like $5.25 freaking cents. And he didn't pay. And he said that a man always appreciates it when a woman attempts to grab her wallet. So I was through with him. Girl, I... I erased his number, done. I told my mom the whole thing. She was like, we don't need any more cheap guys. We're looking for like stable able. <laughs> Is he in New York City? We don't know. So next thing you know, a month goes by. I'm getting text messages, phone calls, emails, and I see this guy at church, Justin. He's there again. And he's like, hey, look, I want to take you out for coffee, and this time I'll pay. And I was like, really? Is it going to be me attempting to grab my wallet, or are you just actually going to pay? And he's like, I wanted to test you. And I was like, test me? Oh, no, we have started off on the wrong foot. Jesus be a wheel. And Jesus was a wheel because he said, I have been taken advantage of, and I have had women use me for a steak dinner. I I don't want that. I'm looking for a wife. And I was like, whoa, you're a very serious person. And he said, I don't want to go out with a girl with an attitude who thinks that she can just get some and then leave. I'm here to be serious. And he's like, clearly, you're a serious person. And I was like, well, I'm not that serious, but I'm serious enough to go out on another date with you if that's what you want to know. My mom thought I was crazy. She told me I needed counseling. But after our second date, we were inseparable. It was Aww. it was amazing. And he and I did not break my rule. And his rule as well, because I didn't know that he also was trying to wait till he was married to have sex as well. We didn't go into this as virgins, but this was a pact that we had made separately. And when we met, boom, we were both going into so this without having sex. So the first time you had sex was after you were married on, on your our wedding, wedding night. Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> I have to tell you, this is the, this is in all my podcasts. This is the only time I've cried since oh. Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That is it the was so sweetest special. story. That's amazing. But you amazing. know, we dated for a year and what we got to build together was a friendship, mm-hmm. communication, trust, and responsibility for wow. each other. Because as you know, in a marriage, it's one of the most selfless things that you get into. I mean, maybe motherhood's a little bit more selfless, but you have to put this other person first every single day in order for it to be a strong marriage. What's your philosophy about how to do that? I think something that helped us and that we did, we're such dorks. We read the five love languages on our honeymoon and we realized we're complete opposites. We were like, dang it. What's yours and what's his? His is physical touch and time spent, which I think a lot of men are that. Um, either one or the other, and mine is acts of service. Mine is gifts. Your gifts? I'm that freaking shallow. I don't meet people like you very often. I know, and I'll tell you something. I didn't know this about myself, and Brad, my husband, he 
said, you know, you can be having the worst day of your life. And if I give you like the tiniest thing, he's like, it's like nothing. He's like, you're so happy. <laughs> That's so cute. And it's true. I really realized. And it mean for some reason it's, I wouldn't have thought that of myself either, but that's mine. But maybe it's because people, it's like you thought that that person took a genuine, genuine interest in you for that that's second. Why. It's all the thought behind it. Yep. That makes sense. I get it. I do get it. And that's phys- that's acts of service too. Like you yeah. thought of me to get all that crap done that I didn't want to do or to prep the evening for, for like a great night to have. Like right. it's like, wow. Right. So his is definitely not that and mine is definitely not physical touch or, or spending time together. Like, get off me. Yeah. I mean, I'm touched <laughs> all day long on set and I'm like, good God. And I don't need to hang out, but like if you want to, I'm down. So you are a riot. So, but that's You're my the thing. Favorite person. <laughs> so, I think that in learning that about myself and him, that helped our marriage. And let me tell you, like first year was difficult. Second year was a little better. Third, mm, our fifth year was our worst year. Interesting. It was the year where we didn't see each other very much. We were doing kind of like he was in LA, I was in New York. We weren't talking because my career at that t- that fifth year was like whoa on fire. Yes, because mm-hmm. I think that's probably when I was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah, that's right. Because it was three years ago. I've been married eight years. Wow, doing the math, and. And that's like, I mean, I was getting Should carpal tunnel. Should I take tunnel. you in the coding room with right. that man? You want to go help the guys with an algorithm? I had to take algebra three times in high school. <laughs> that's right. Um, so it, it was difficult because all of a sudden we were questioning why we were together. We were questioning like our love for for one another. And it was all because what we had, our foundation of being together, quality time, trust, um, and, and putting each other first had started to fizzle. Interesting. And we had to start going back to our foundation and in going back to our foundation, we made rules. And one of the rules was we don't go longer than two weeks without spend seeing each other. And if it's been a full two weeks, we spend a whole week together and we do not go to bed without speaking on the phone together to say like, hello, how are you? Good night. Mm-hmm. So that helped immensely. Like, and then year six was like a whole new world. (laughs) Don't you dare close your eyes. It was amazing. And now here we are in our eighth year and I'm like, that's my boy. What's up? That's my life partner. We're building shit together. I love you, Justin. I love you too, Justin. I don't even know you. I am a fan. Does spirituality or Christianity play into your relationship? Oh, a thousand percent. Tell me how. Okay, so I think that it's important, and not every couple is like this, and it's going to be hard to always be like this for any couple, but like to have the baseline that you believe the same thing I think is really awesome because when you get into a fight, you know how to respect each other in the fight or how, um, how you're raising your kids or what it's like to have rituals or like a Sunday morning, like, okay, we're going to church uh, Wednesday nights, like Bible study, but something else that we do that is rooted in our faith is we pray together. How often? We try to do it once a week 
and if we're not together that week, we try to do it over the phone. So what we do in our house is we turn off all the lights, we turn on praise and worship music, and it can be anything from like Fred Hammond to Mary Mary to like any of those like uplifting kind of Christian songs that are deep rooted in in faith and not just like the like, oh, happy day. <laughs> it's not that. It's like Jesus take the wheel on like a higher, right. crazier level. And in praying in the dark where, I mean, it's not like pitch black, but like we're able to focus on what God wants us to pray for and for each other and for our families and for our futures. And we just pray out loud and we pray out loud and we have the music on and it's a bonding experience as well. We get so horny after we're done praying. (laughs) We're like, oh my God, we're building something spiritual together. It's true because when you get to build something with somebody (laughs) (laughs) on a bigger level than just surface or just Instagram followers or even money, it, that none none of that matters when you're building on a spiritual level with someone that understands who you are, what you want and vice versa. And to be able to talk to God in one under one roof on another level. And you're providing your life so much context And it's so profound to have that kind of context in Mm -hmm. your life. Like my life is about love. My life is about commitment. My life is about upliftment. My Mm -hmm. life is about whatever those things are. Mm -hmm. And so then if someone does say something mean on Instagram or you don't get the acting job or whatever it is. I'm good. You're good. (laughs) (laughs) That took me a while though. It did. You know, I, there was one cover that I didn't get that I thought I was going to get. It was Italian Vogue. And it was four, five girls on hold. I was the fifth girl. And my agent was like, I tried so hard to get you on. You're on hold. Oh, my God. The night before the shoot, I get called. You got released for the first day. You're still on for the second day. We'll see what happens. Mm. The next day comes, and I'm calling them. And that's bad mm. when you got to call your yeah, own agent. <laughs> Even Not when it's like, oh, that's bad. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, hey, look, uh, so did you hear anything? What's going on? Like, did I get the job? Like, am, am I going to go? Am I going to be in, you know, Italian Vogue? Unfortunately, no, you're not. And I was crushed. And I I was, like, thinking this was going to be the one magazine that catapulted me into the the stratosphere that I wanted to be. When the magazine came out, it destroyed me even more because mm-hmm. I looked at it all the time thinking that was supposed to be mine. I was su- That was me. That was supposed to be right there. And it's not. And it hit for a year. People would say to me, I saw your cover. I saw your cover. Because it was three girls who looked very similar to me. Oh, that made it even worse. And I had to tell myself after a year of agonizing over this one cover, and I had to say to myself, it doesn't matter, Ashley. That cover wasn't yours, or you didn't get that job because it wasn't your job. It was not yours. And it was it was like yet another aha moment. Mm-hmm. It wasn't mine. If it's not mine, it's not in my destiny. And because it's not in my destiny, it's not going to further who I am. And it's not going to further who I am in this world. So let it go. And maybe not getting it furthered your destiny more than getting it. I mean, look how you look back and reflect on it. Exactly. So 
I think those little moments I treasure because it gave me insight into humility, into being humble, into knowing not everything is yours. Yeah. You don't. It's so interesting. You know, my mother gave me that advice Mm -hmm. when I didn't get a part that I went on like seven callbacks for, and it was at the beginning of my career. It's between you and one other girl, and we both kept going back and back and back, and it was for this amazing director, and I didn't get the part. She got it. She got it, and I was devastated. How old were you? 19 or 20. Yeah. So it was like, you know, before, yeah, very early, that my mother said, ironically, the exact same thing to me. She said, Gwynny, if you didn't get the part, that means it's not your part. And there's going to be a lot of parts that are your part. So let, like, detach from it. Yeah. You know, let it go. It's hard to hear it in the moment. It is. It is hard to hear it in the moment. But when I think whenever anybody gives you advice like that, that takes you to the 35,000 foot view, it's such a blessing. And you take it with you. I mean, you know, you and I are still, I was 19 when I was given, Mm -hmm. you know, and you, whenever you, however many years ago you lost that cover. Yeah. That was like when I was 22, 23. Right. So it's, it's, it's obviously impactful, Mm -hmm. but it's, what's so annoying about you is that you're the one who keeps teaching yourself all this shit. (laughs) I think that my husband also helps. Like he's, I don't know. He's got, he can see from bird's eye view also. And he's just kind of always in my ear. He's my number one support, you know, it's the best agents, managers, lawyers, assistants. It's great. And you need it. But at the end of the day, when you put your head down and you've got that one person, that's just like, telling heaven. you it's heaven it heaven. is and i he is such a blessing to me every what day what does he do he's a cinematographer director oh, wow. yeah Amazing. so he gets it right which is great i'm grateful for yeah. as well well no wonder you both have you know i mean with work yes. like that long hours locations yes. right yes it's a lot it's intense but now i don't know you now it works it yeah we have rules are important yeah yeah structure mm-hmm Structure for sure. Wait a second. One question. The yeah. girl who got the job? Yes. Did she ever become famous? She did for a while. Oh, for a while. Yeah. Okay. She did for a while. I mean, I guess she's still, <laughs> she's still famous, but not like, it wasn't like Julia you. Roberts. You know what I mean? Or Gwyneth Paltrow. Famous. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. So do you want to have children? Yes, I definitely do. I think. In a couple years, I'll get off of birth control and then just see what happens. Great. I don't think I should put a, a time on it. No. Right? How old were you when you had your first? I was 31 when I had Apple. Are you so glad you did it then? I'm so glad I did it then. Yeah. And I was 33 when I had Mosey. Oh, Mosey. Mosey. It's so funny to see like moms talk about their boys. Oh. They're like, they gush. Forget it. Oh. <laughs> Forget it. It's really incredible having children. I mean, again, like talk about something that brings context to your life. It's funny. My son's like a very deep thinker and feeler. And last summer he got very down all of a sudden, you know, he's 12 and he's got a lot of hormonal changes happening. And I said, you look so sad. Are you okay? And he said, I just realized that I, there's really no point to life. Like, I don't understand what the point is. Whoa. And I was like, wow. Okay. So how am I going to answer this as a mother? Like what, you know, he's like, what, what is supposed to bring your life meaning? And it was so interesting because I was flooded with this feeling and I was like, well, 
there's going to be a lot of things in life that are going to give your life meaning. Nothing's going to give your life meaning the way that you have given my life. Like when you become a parent, something happens in terms of the way you perceive your, the reason you're on earth. Mm -hmm. That's incredibly profound. But I think if you want to. Yeah, I want to. I definitely want, I want at least one. But then one of my friends who's an only child was like, you can't just have one. You have to have two. Look at me. I needed a brother or a sister. Everyone has to do it in their own way. And I think also every child has their own path too. Well, that's true. I know that. They really, yeah. Between me and my sisters, geez Louise. Are you you very different? Oh my God, we're so different. We're like, my middle sister is really sexy and like just beautiful, but like in an interesting way. My baby sister and I are very similar, but she chose the like Nebraska life to be a stay-at-home mom and like her husband's a beekeeper. Oh, I love that. I know, they're adorable. And then I am like you know, wild and crazy and like say whatever's on my mind and run around the house butt naked. What do they make of you and your They're so happy for me. And they also are like, God, it's so annoying when I'm walking around and someone says, are you Ashley Graham's sister? (laughs) Do they look that much like you? I mean, we do, but like they live in Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, right. You know, there's not 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 much else going on there. Oh, I see. I mean, you know, I've never been to Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, I have to say Lincoln as a whole is a great place to raise a family where Nebraska is top five happiest states in America. Would you ever move back? No, there's no diversity. Oh, if you think about like our kids going to school, they would probably be like one of five black kids in the school. And that is not something that we want. We want our kids to be raised around other black people so that they don't have identity issues because, you know, it's already going to be one thing having a white mom and a black dad that we're going to have to talk about, but also, you know, being raised only around white people is, is not something that we want to do. Interesting. Yeah. Race is a huge conversation in our home. It's a constant conversation. In what way? Well, I think, you know, Justin has always been, um, very, very um, conscious of being a black man and like what that means to him. And his grandfather walked with Martin Luther King in many of his marches. And so being a black man has always been a center of his conversations when it comes to like how he was raised in his family, being a Christian, being a black man, all of these things. And um, so when I came into the family and, and his sister is very similar, we had to have a lot of race conversation. I mean, this was like, a, a, this is, I don't want to be ignorant to the fact that not only is my husband black, but my children will be black. Right. So I, I have to understand black culture as much as possible. I'll never understand the experience, but I want to understand so that I'm not the ignorant white mother. So when he came to my house for the first time, and I talked about this in my book, but it's so interesting because I did not want to announce to my grandmother that he was black because I didn't think that it defined him as a person, the color of his skin. And naive to me, my grandmother was not okay with it and could not look him in the eye and did not want to speak to him and told me, tell that man I said goodbye. And to, still to this day, I took Justin on a drive right after because it, it was an intense moment. I'll say. Took me, I took him on a drive just to get him out of the house. And he said to me, and I'll never forget this quote, racism is never surprising, but it's always disappointing. Mm. And if I 
talk to any of my other black friends or family, they all agree with that statement because it's how they have to live their lives every day because we live in a white world. And I didn't realize any of this being a white girl from the Midwest and a privileged home. And I get into this newfound world where I'm like, wow, like I have been living a white privileged life and I've never educated myself on anything but what's been put in front of me. And so I've been opened up to a whole new world of, of how other people are being treated just because we have been taught to treat people differently because of the color of the skin, because of the way that they look, because of their exterior. So it's it's a constant in our home, and it's so enlightening. And I and I love having because I love learning. I want I want to always be learning. We always want to be learning. Of course. Hopefully, were Race. his family accepting of you? Yes. Oh, to wrap up the story about grandma. So grandma and Justin ended up actually becoming best friends. Thank God before she died. You're kidding. And it was because Justin. He is such a kind person. He was like, I'm going to overcome grandma's like racist heart, right? Because let me tell you, my mother never saw a black person until she went to college at 17, 18 years old. And that was her first time. So that just like gives you just an idea of like how many black people at that time were actually living in Nebraska. And so my grandmother, I mean, who knows when she had seen a black person for the first time. So then there's a black man in her home and she had only seen what has been going on in the news or, or movies or, you know, and he accidentally called my grandmother just to say hello, but it was on her anniversary and my grandfather had just died. And he was like, I just wanted to call and say hi, and I was thinking of you. And she and him talked for over an hour on the phone and became buds. And then next time we were there, they were cooking together. And it's like because he stepped outside of that, like, she doesn't like me, so I'm going to be rude back to her um, box and was like, I'm just going to throw all my love on grandma. But that's so incredible that... To be met with that level of resistance and choose to be the bigger person and choose to be loving. It shows Justin's character because he was not about to let grandma just like go off and think whatever she wanted to and generalize black people and put them all in one box. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, 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 no. And not that they got to talk about race or or being um, of color or any like that, but it was that she got to spend time with him. And I think it was eye opening for her, like. Because even in your late se- early 70s, you, you're ignorant. You're not mindful of the world around you in some, in some cities. And it's great to still be able to learn something. So that made my heart so warm. And then she died shortly after. So that was also really great. Like, they became friends. And he probably made a huge impact on her. I think so. I think so. And his family was accepting. Oh, girl. That's how it always is. The black family's always like, white girl, come on in. Or white man, come on in. It's like, they, they, they're like, yes, it's okay. We love you. But it's the white family when that one black girl or black guy comes in. They, it's a blow up. I, and wow. it's crazy. It's crazy. Not every family. But this is like a very stereotypical like generalization of what I've always seen, heard and experienced. It's very disappointing. It is. And I, I really, I genuinely, I really thought up until recently that it was well, up compl- until Barack. <laughs> Come on, Gwyneth, don't be one of those white people. <laughs> 
I just thought it was changing. I had great hope for where we were moving to in terms of racial bias. I really felt mm-hmm. like, you know, you can see when you, you, there are very clear signs in a culture when there's change. And those signs were there. There were there, but I think it just goes to show like what you're seeing on the news and all of the brutality and how none of it's changing, that there really hasn't been a change. And it's because people are not being educated on, on race and culture and who, how we're all so different. And that's why we have to have conversations like this. That's mm-hmm. why I just started my own podcast, Pretty Big Deal. I know, that was going to be my oh, last oh my question. God! Well, that's why I started, because I want to have these open conversations with other people about politics, race, religion, how we can grow and learn more together. Because I think when you start talking about something that maybe you're passionate about or that you believe and you're talking about it with someone who maybe thinks the opposite – you get anxiety that this person doesn't like you or that you're going to get into a fight because everybody has such a strong opinion nowadays. Mm -hmm. But really what we should be doing is closing our mouth, opening up our ears and just hearing these people, whatever they're saying, because we don't know how, how a person who doesn't look like us or has a different background than us is living and what they're feeling. So just shut up and listen. I agree with you completely. (laughs) How many episodes have you recorded? We've got eight episodes coming out for first season. Amazing. The ones that are out right now are Kim Kardashian, uh, Gabrielle Union, Noor Tagari, who's a journalist, mm-hmm. and Lily Singh, YouTuber. All different types of women, all have something different to say. All the interviews are so different. It was so fun to be able to create something that has... I always wanted a television show. I always looked up to Oprah and, and thought, you know, who hasn't looked up to Oprah? But thought, that's what I want to do. Like, I want to be able just to, like, talk to people because I feel like I have an, a natural um, voice to talk, to be able to talk to anyone. Being being from Texas, Atlanta, Arkansas, New Hampshire, Nebraska, now New York, it's like I could talk to a brick wall about anything all day long. So why can't I do that on TV? And that's what I wanted to do. I was like, okay, and I'm going to, I'm going to start a podcast and we're going to put it on YouTube also. So, so you film it as well. We film it as well. Oh, That's great. Yeah. And it's barefoot optional. You can cozy up on our big old chairs and we just sit there. Gabrielle and I, we drank wine and then I was like, (laughs) I was actually kind of tipsy for my next interview. So it went a little rogue. (laughs) Um, I love when that happens. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it's just been so fun. So we named it Pretty Big Deal because I've always been called pretty for a big girl. Oh, right. And then I realized, oh, I'm a pretty big deal for being pretty for a big girl. And everybody who's going to be listening is a really big deal. And everybody on my show is a pretty big deal. So why don't we just call it Pretty Big Deal? I love it. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been having a lot of fun. It's fun to do a podcast, it's right? It's really fun. Yeah. I mean, I don't film it because I don't want to put makeup on. Well, but I maybe I should rethink that. Well, we do an after show. So my assistant oh. comes on with me in the after show, and we discuss. And you can leave me a voice message on this Anchor app. And so I can hear, like, my fans' voices on this message. And then I answer their questions right there in the after you show. so technological. Well, Remember girl, when you we met? you got to keep up with the time. I know. Oh, yes. But you're was... my tutor. <laughs> Remember when we so met? Funny. And you showed, literally showed me Instagram Insta stories. stories. Yes. And how to put 
those ears on and everything. Yeah. And I was like, your grandmother in the corner, <laughs> like, I don't know how to work this. But that was last year. And that, yeah. you know, that yeah. was like Insta stories were like the new thing. I know. I'm uh. still not that good at it. <laughs> I need another tutorial with you. Uh, what were we just talking about? The last Oh, yes. Was- Anchor. Anchor. Yes. So you can leave me a voice message. Anchor. And I don't, I don't wear, like, if I'm coming from an event, then I'm, I'm hosting the after show. That's how I look. But last time I didn't wear any makeup, didn't do my hair. Because it's a real me. I love it. People want to see you like this. Gwyneth, you look cute. I, I'm a disaster. Look how I like your shirt so and shorts puby. or your capris. Thank what you. are those pants? These are this Belgian designer named Sophie. I can never pronounce her last name, but I bought them on goop.com. They're really cute. Thank you. They're really comfortable. A little Gucci slide. You know, I got to try and get it together. You got it together, sister. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. God, what a (laughs) breath of fresh air. You're so brilliant and brave and beautiful. And I just, I really, I really have had a great time talking to you. Thank you. And thank you for being a role model for for someone like me, because I've really looked up to you for a very long time. So thank you. Thank you for having me on. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Ashley as much as I did. And you can keep listening to her on her own podcast, Pretty Big Deal. If you have a question you'd like me to answer here, send it over to Goop on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks again for tuning into the Goop podcast. We'll be back next week with two conversations. On Tuesday, you can listen to our last bonus episode from InGoop Health Vancouver. And then Elise is sharing another amazing conversation on Wednesday. This one is about gratitude, which is perfectly timed for the day before Thanksgiving. To keep up with every episode, just hit subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, and share with a friend. You can also always find more info on goop.com slash the podcast.